1: It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. The Squareball Podcast. Well, hello there. Welcome to the show. It's brought to you in association with West Yorkshire Electrical a fully accredited electrician with a range of services. They've got far too many to mention here, but I will ask you there, Phil, do you have CCTV either for your
0: home or your business on the main streets of York? You don't need it up there, do you? Mm, I've never had my windows put in despite 20 years of writing about Leeds, but there's always a first time for, um, for everything. So yeah, I'm in the market.
1: Uh, and the inevitable future as well as we move towards renewables, um, West Yorkshire Electrical do specialise in renewable technologies, including solar panel installation for home and business, battery storage, same for your home and business, electrical vehicle charging as well. Home and business, they will do the lot for you. Fire alarm, security alarm, CCTV, the full shebang. Home and business services are available for you with finance for both, uh, and they cover the whole of Yorkshire and beyond. It's got wires in it, Phil. If it's got wires, they will work with it. I've heard that that's true. wyelectrical.co.uk for details. Search West Yorkshire Electrical on your socials. Get in touch with them. They're very, very good. And uh, it was the mural in Geisley, Revy, Wilco, Bielsa, if you need to just, just check the bona fides, they um, sponsored that mural being put up on the side of the Yorkshire Rose pub. Proud to say it's still there because I drive past that one frequently. So full on Leeds fans. Good, good. As I said before, nice mural, that one. Go have a look. Into it then, the start of the week show. We should say, um, even though we are twice a week, there'll be no uh, end of the week show this time because it's the international break. We're going to take a, take a Friday off. However, we are here to reflect on Leeds United beating Bristol City at the weekend couple of days on from it now, Phil, uh, Monday morning as we speak, I've been thinking about, So we, we asked the question the in the show at the back end of last week, where are League United? What are we seeing out of them at the minute? And I feel like off the back of this Bristol City game, it seems to me like we've got a club that's kind of shedding the, the relegation hangover a little bit, is a little bit more sure of itself and knows where it's heading now.
0: I would say that's true. I, I think the relegation hangover has gone. I, I think it was definitely there through the summer and in the first month of, of the season. But they are, they are in, in the stride, I think. They're, they're in a bit of a groove. And the Southampton result is really standing out like a, a bit of a sore thumb in amongst some very steady and, and solid, pretty strong performances. I thought it was a good win on Saturday and, and a very necessary win, along with the, the win on QP, uh, over QPR on Wednesday. The focus after Farker's press conference on Friday, when he spoke at great length about Joe Pirro, Thirty minutes in total to answer the question of of why Pirro was playing at ten rather than number nine, and in, and actually quite fascinating to hear that given what we've been chatting about on the podcast, where you were asking me, you know how how do you manage those subjects where you feel as if the question's been asked lots of times, you feel as if the answer's been given lots of times, but people are still not kind of satisfied with what's been said or satisfied with how it's it's working, you know, for the team and and as a team. And it was almost as if Farker was reacting to that, um, um, you know, that kind of train of thought with the answer about Pirro. It was a case of look, I will give you chapter and verse on this, and then you need never ask about it again because you know what I think and you know why I'm doing what I'm I'm doing. But even though that got all the attention on Friday, one of the things that jumped out to me from the press conference was him saying earlier on that he thought the Bristol City game was crucial, um, and that was the the word that he used. He it, it, it did equivocate slightly by saying, look, I, I don't kind of fixate on a certain position in the league after 11 games. I don't feel like we have to be here. We have to be there. It's, it's a little bit too early in the season. But I think him saying that it was crucial gave you the sense that he was kind of getting into promotion mode and, and starting to think more and more about what Leeds needed to do and where they needed to be in order to be nicely positioned at, at this stage of the season. And I don't doubt at all that part of the reason for that and part of the reason for it being in his head will be because of how good Leicester have been and how good Ipswich have been. Um, we, we dug through the numbers before the weekend and Leicester's start over 11 games is is virtually unmatched in the championship era. Sheffield United did the same in 2005-06, but that's it. You know, that's how good their form has been and, and it's put them on 30 points already. Ipswich is, um, you know, they run over the, the 10 games before the weekend. The only side who've matched that were Oxford and that's back in the, the early 80s. Um, that's, again, how how rare that that type of start is. And I know Ipswich are kind of perpetuating the, the idea that one promotion can lead to another, and an impetus helps you in that respect. But the form's exceptional on both fronts. And as much as I don't think Farker is in any way saying to himself, and certainly hasn't been told by the club, that, that it has to be automatic promotion this season, he wouldn't want to be out of the picture for that at an early stage. He wouldn't want to lose touch, and he will know the difference between a, a big gap, an awkward gap, and an insurmountable gap. Um, And I think he realised that they did have to take six points from these games, because if you are going to stay in the mix, that's the type of form you need. You need your victories ticking over pretty quickly. You can afford the odd day like Southampton away, which wasn't good. But as a whole, it needs to be as it's been over the past couple of, you know, past sort of four or five days. And they are grinding these results out and I think that's a really, really good sign. And they look to me like a team who who know what they're doing, who understand the patterns of play that they're supposed to be using and are pretty comfortable in the system.
1: Yeah, I think Michael made a really astute point on the show at the back end of last week, actually. It's that draws kill you in this division. It was always, um, and forgive my language, Neil Warnock, who was a proponent of going for wins in this division because that's what sees you uh, up there at the end of the season. And if we can just get over that kind of two points per game, Mark, I'm a closing in on it now after that initial little wobbly start, Phil, aren't we? Then um, we should be there or thereabouts. And you would hope as well. I mean, possibly Leicester are going to be an exception to this this year, but at some point you would expect Ipswich to have a little wobble in form, maybe a little drop off in points. So if we can just keep in touch, keep it ticking over, slipstream
0: them, get up into sort of third or fourth place, then we might just be all right. Well, what you said about Warnock is right. And it was his. that was his Sheffield United side back in 05-06 who started, I think I'm right in saying, with Ten wins and, and a defeat from from the first eleven games, and the reason that Leicester and Ipswich are making so much ground at the top of the table at the moment is because they aren't drawing any games. They're winning. You know, they've been the odd blemish here and there, but they're basically winning every game that they're that they're playing. You absolutely have to grind it in the Championship. You do from time to time, and and it's in in a lot of ways, it's the days when you can grind it and you do successfully grind it that, that make the difference. I think one of the things that will please Farka is that. They've had a good run of matches now at Elland Road that have taken a similar sort of shape where they've had to play through compact lines and, and compact defences. And OK, you know, against Cardiff, they were, in terms of the timing of the, the equaliser, they were lucky to, to get away with that um, that result, even though they deserved it. And they didn't get through against Sheffield Wednesday and and away from home, they didn't get through against Hull City. But I suspect they would have done had Rodon not been sent off with half an hour of the game left. But they have found a way against Watford. They have found a way against QPR and, and again against Bristol City. And it's not as if any of those games were wildly pretty. Watford became, you know, a bit buckling towards the end. And, and they, you know, ac- across the three matches, they played some some really good football. But it's just efficient. You know, it's efficient and it's, it's successful and it puts you in a, a strong position. And I think fifth going into the second international break is probably as much as Farker could have asked for at the start of the season. I think he's he's not given a huge away, amount away about this, but I think he'd be really happy. I think he will be. I think he'd be very, very satisfied with where they're at. I think he would prefer it if Leicester and Ipswich hadn't got the jump on everybody in the way that they have. But there's not an awful lot you can do about that. I mean, you know, Ipswich's defeat was to Leeds down at Portland Road. So in that respect, Leeds have done their bit to, to kind of keep them reeled in to, to a degree. But I think when it comes to Leeds themselves and Farkas squad they've probably done as much as they could have done by this point of the season let's get into some of the incidents then in the game if we can just uh, break a few of those down let's talk about
1: Rutes' miss but not necessarily Rutes' miss because they do happen sometimes don't they but um there is a tweet doing the rounds with the build up to that that starts all the way back at Melier. and it was an absolutely fantastic move and i didn't think um i don't think i fully appreciated it at the time uh, until i've seen that tweet with the whole build up and if you wanted to drop the B bomb in here, Phil, at any point you could do,
0: but it was very reminiscent of uh, a previous manager's work at Ellen Road. It was, and actually, so was the the way in which Leeds were playing for a third goal towards the end of the game. You know that that's one of the things we're not. It it, it, it was a bit stodgy against QPR on Wednesday, but I did think on Saturday there was a genuine attempt to kill that game off. You know, and and that's how it, it used to be under under yeah his um, his predecessor. I, I was like you, I didn't properly appreciate that move at the time I think probably because the the attention at the end of it was um was focused on on a pretty extraordinary mess which was you know one of those great moments for xg fanatics who will have been cutting that um that opportunity to pieces and I think the xg on it was something like 0.8 which means that basically he should have scored um as as any layman could see but this is the thing you see it, it was a it was a really bad mess. But Rutter generally, over the 90 minutes, was exceptional again. And just when he plays like that, does just look like he's he's trolling the championship a bit. You know, that he's a cut above and he is at that level of class that most teams just don't have. And again, it was almost perfect for Farker as well, wasn't it? After that long answer about Pirro, which I think the, the bones of was, it's my job... It's my call. It's my neck. I understand why people are debating this and they're free to and they're entitled to. But in the end, I'm the manager. I get paid to to make this decision. And I think more to the point, there was a definite, I thought, tone of Farker trying to say to people, just trust me a little bit. You know, I've done this before. I've won this league before. I've done decent work with strikers previously. You know, and and I thought he was absolutely right um, in the respect of saying it's not ideal is it that when Pirro scores and Leeds win and Leeds play well, you say, oh, that was good. And then every time he doesn't, this debate starts up about whether Pirro should um, should be at nine. Uh, and the timing of that goal, you know, the fact that it was a winning goal, the fact that it was such a good finish from Pirro was perfect for him. Although, you know, he, he was he didn't give it the big I am afterwards, Farker. He just sat and said, look, I'm not going to say I, I told you so. But that, you know, th- this is the thing. It is working for them, this system, more often than not. And yes, it's not necessarily blowing teams away week after week, but I think you can see that it's been thought through, uh, that this kind of like, rational thought process behind why they're playing like this, why the system's structured like it. And as I was saying to somebody last week, managers very rarely do things to aggravate people. You know, Farke is not sitting there saying, I'm going to play Pirro at 10 because it's going to annoy the crowd and it's going to annoy journalists. He's doing it because he thinks it, it's actually right for the structure. And I thought when he got into the... You know, the nuts and bolts of explaining how Leeds play and, and why it's better having Pirro there as opposed to at nine, it, it did kind of make sense. Um, and Pirro's record is looking, looking really strong. But as much as it was shaping up in the first 20, 25 minutes to be a far more difficult game than QPR, and, and it was, you know, without any question, I still thought that as time went on, Bristol City were made to look second best and made to look like they were having to bail a lot of water against a, a superior team.
1: That's how I felt about it, yeah. There was a little bit more ambition and adventure wasn't there in that opening 15 or 20 but then as soon as we got our noses in front and there was was a certain inevitability about that goal as well wasn't there just the number of bodies that were in the box the fact that it found its way in there and you know Kamara's involvement the persistence to win that ball back catching defenders just, just napping a little bit I think
0: as well that tactically it was a really clever decision to play Archie Gray at right back and uh, it's easy to say that on the basis that it worked but I think it worked because again there was logic behind the you know the reasoning to, to do it Bell on that side of the pitch could have been a real threat a really big threat He's a very good player very talented player but Gray had the better of that battle right the way through to the extent that, that at one stage in the second half Bristol City were switching um, switching wingers to, to try and get a little bit more change out of Sam Byron who was equally good and wasn't given giving anything away but I also thought looking at Gray, it kind of told a bit of a story about the recruitment at Leeds and the way in which they've managed to move to a position where they give or take, they have two credible options for each role in the team. But also they can they can do things like Parker did with the, the lineup on Saturday without the, the changes or the, the impact on the rest of the side being massive. You know, you, you move Gray to right back and you can bring Kamara into the center of midfield. So it doesn't compromise you in that that area. You don't have to move Byram out of left back to cover at right back, so you don't have to compromise yourself on the left side of the team. You've got Archie Gray, who has played there for England's youth teams and I think in the 23s a few times as well, not for the first team, but actually looked really accomplished and, and had a bit of background on that, so wasn't coming into completely cold. And it does just make you feel, particularly with, you know, Spence to come back and Nonto to come back, it does make you feel like they are in a good place and that they, you know, somehow, by hook or by crook, they did get the summer right. Very
1: much so. Yeah, and it is worth singling out
0: Archie Gray for a bit of attention, I think, in this because he was absolutely
1: superb. Second half, he was over on my side, like right in front of me. So he was obviously more noticeable from my position because he was bigger in my eye line. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But there were a number of occasions where the ball would come out and he'd be isolated one-on-one. I think Bell did switch back over to that side a number of times, didn't he? Or maybe when he was still over on the left, that I thought this could be a test. But then Every single time I thought that, or I thought, well, one on one, you can't afford to jump in or get this wrong. He got it absolutely spot on every single time. I thought it was an absolutely outstanding performance. And it's easy to forget sometimes now because we're kind of used to him this season. He's 17.
0: Yeah. He's he's like Delph in League One when Delph came in and then overnight, you know, you were to begin with, you're looking at this Academy player that people were saying to you, This this kid is massively talented, and you're thinking it'd be you know, be good to see, but it is League One, it will be scrappy, it will be hard. We'll see how he settles. And, you know, from from the get-go, Delph was just a kind of automatic pick and and as good as just about anybody else in the division for the season when he, when he played. And it's a little bit like that with Gray as well. And I think bear in mind that by shifting to right-back, you're asking very different things of him. So rather than looking at him and wondering how well he's going to use the ball and how much he's going to be able to manipulate possession and pick passes, it's not as if he didn't have to do any of that at right-back. But suddenly you're saying to yourself... What are his recovery runs going to be like? How good is his tackling going to be? How good is his anticipation going to be? And I guess more to the point as well, how well is his fitness going to hold up given that Bristol City will try and run him as much as they they could? And it was, it was just ticks in the boxes all the way across the board. It was, um, I thought it was absolutely brilliant. I had, I know Rutter was incredibly impressive, but I had um, Archie Gray down as man of the match on on Saturday. I just thought given what he was being asked to do and the way he did it and the impact that it had on. Bristol City's performance. It was pretty crucial.
1: Did you spot Farker talking to him at the end, you know, as the players went round the uh, the pitch, applauding the stands, he just um, picked out Archie Gray right towards the back of the pack and just, I think he was coming over and obviously offering him some congratulations on a good performance, but I think he was saying to him, just be careful in that corner towards the end, trying not to turn too many times into trouble. I could see him, he was gesturing, you know, he knew sort of doing circles with his fingers as if to say, don't yeah. turn and do that there because you worried everybody, but um, it was absolutely brilliant. A great performance and the sort of thing that just, uh, I don't know, it just makes you kind of puff your chest out and be proud to be leads and just enjoy the football. And that's the, the feeling I think that we captured on the match ball when we came back down here. It was a lovely, warm, sunny day at Ellen Road on Saturday. And I just came away from it feeling like, do you know what? I've just had a nice day and all those horrible relegation related anxieties have gone and, um, somebody texted me on Sunday morning saying, "Isn't it nice just to wake up without that emotional baggage on a
0: Sunday morning of Leeds United having pissed you off again?" Yeah, it helps at this time of the year as well because it's not like everything's on on the line. Although to go back to Farker's comments, he's obviously starting to think that this is where you really do need to you really do need to find a bit of momentum and, and find some some proper consistency with with good results. But he, he does like, seem to like a bit of carrot and stick, Parker with the players. You know, he's never shy. After games where somebody has played particularly well, to highlight what wasn't great with them, he wasn't shy, you know, with with Rutter talking about his miss against Watford and about how he gave him a a bit of a doing in the dressing room at half-time, saying you've got to be scoring that. Because I think it's his way of just reminding everybody, again, that he's in charge, that they're not finished articles. But, I mean, with Gray... You remember that in the last international break, he, he didn't go away for England under 19 duty. And he did have a little bit of a niggle. But to be quite honest, I think it was more a case of the club saying, look, two weeks of managing your body properly would be far better for you. After so much football and at the age of 17, than going away and training and, and playing with England. Gray seemed quite happy about that, too. He is going away in this break. and Farca did say, look, players have international ambitions. Players want to go. He, it's not... I don't think it's a healthy situation for to impose that sort of rule too often, and that you know they can't each and every time be saying, "Look, let's tuck him away, let's not expose him." I think ideally they'd, they'd love to keep him wrapped up and, and and protect him as much as as they could. But Farkas sort of said at one point, you know, we'd, we'd always prefer he was getting called up by the full three lions, but you know, it's it's maybe going to take a while yet. And I think that tells you really, doesn't it? He's thinking what we're all thinking, which is that if you are saying you could see Archie Gray playing for England. It may be a long way off and it may not happen because nothing's in an exact science. It doesn't feel so unlikely either.
1: Yeah, I was trolling the uh, Bristol City uh, fan forums on Saturday night because you can afford to do that, obviously, when your team wins. I just, I was just interested to see what they made of it. And there were some uh, there was some praise there, particularly Archie Gray getting singled out for, uh, for being really eye-catching. There was one fan in particular who uh, didn't liken him to Bellingham but said, I've not been so in awe of a young player on an opposition side since we faced Jude Bellingham. We were playing yeah. uh,
0: Birmingham, which is high praise indeed. Obviously, with the way that Bellingham's going, well, we were lucky enough to have a view of Bellingham, weren't we? With Birmingham, um, and they did with him really what Leeds are doing with Gray, which is saying, look, he's good enough, so there really is no point in beating around the bush and saying mm, he's a bit young. Just put him in the team, and that's how it's been with Gray this season. And it's felt like the perfect time to blood Gray. I mean, there was there was that chance, wasn't there, that he was going to break Peter Lorimer's record as the youngest player ever to play for Leeds. And I think had that happened, it would have been a yeah, it would have been a, a, a huge moment, um, and and it would have been very very significant. But I think it probably would have come at a stage where Leeds were well, definitely would have come at a stage where Leeds were not in good form and and things were not going well. And it might not have been great for him, you know, it might not have been the the ideal moment. Whereas this has allowed him to properly feel his way into it, um, and he's been he's been absolutely excellent, I think, all the way through. Tiny little dips here and there as far as bristol city go i don't think they looked like a bad side on saturday i just think it was very hard for them to continue trying to dictate and push the pace as they did in the first 10 15 minutes because leeds were good um is the simple aspect of it i think they look to me bristol city like a side who be relatively close to the playoffs without getting in there that would probably be fair to say just
1: on that uh, youngest player record at the time you wanted to see it broken didn't you because well yeah. we're naturally drawn towards those things i think that's exciting but actually by protecting him from that, looks like the wiser move in the long run, doesn't it? Because that then places an additional burden
0: on a young player's shoulders. And he's been protected from that. That's not a thing anymore. I think the reason why it would have been significant was because Lorimer's record is one of those that I have no expectation of anybody ever beaten, you know, or certainly haven't had over the years when we've written about Peter. I mean, Peter died a few years ago and, and when we were um, writing about him, after his death spoke to goalkeepers who'd played against him previously and we're talking about his, his shooting and, and everything else and 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 what a quality player he was. But you can't you could never write about Peter without referencing the fact that he was so young when he broke into to the Leeds team and so young that it is going to take something extremely special to set a new record for that at Leeds. And and Gray looks very special, you know he does he does look does look incredibly good. And it would have been pretty remarkable to have seen him at that age getting into a Premier League side but I think for his development and everything else it just looks like it's been perfectly pitched it looks like they've picked the right moment they've waited until you know it was it was sensible to push him through and who knows as well you know I, I think he will be easily good enough for the Premier League but perhaps starting off in the championship and the way that delf started off in league one is not a bad thing because you know as with others in the team you do look a cut above if you have that amount of ability
1: mind you the way that young Harry Gray as uh his younger sibling is going in the under eighteens, he uh, he played and scored for the eighteens, didn't he? Just shy of his fifteenth birthday. That record could fall. Yeah, he's highly rated. But let's not we'll not put too much on his shoulders just yet. I know that when well when we've had Hayden in before on, on this show, that um when Hayden is um you know at the agency, isn't he, that, that looks after the family, along with Andy, Andy Gray. Yeah. Um so keeping it in the family and all that. They're keen not to put too much of a burden on them. But I think they know what special set of talents they've got there. Good jeans, good jeans, of course
0: yeah I mean, Harry is one another one that they've been talking about for for a long time as looking incredibly incredibly talented um masses and masses of potential. And you know, I think the thing that you've seen with with Archie is that he manages himself really well. he He lives as a footballer needs to live these days. He seems like a proper professional, um even though he's he's so young. And he also seems driven to develop and, and get better, which I suspect is is in the grey genes too. So, you know, big things expected of both of them. But you're starting to feel with Archie. Like, this season number one for him. He, if he stays fit, he's going to top up 30-plus appearances, um, if not more, this season. And it'll be a very, very good start for him. The Square Ball Podcast.
1: With the return of the German Christmas market to Leeds this year, on this week's member show, we wonder... Could you find yourself drinking a Stein with Daniel Farker in December? I've never been a fan of the Christmas market. People are dead enthusiastic for it sometimes. I not like eh. it's all just a bit daft isn't it. You, you mean? What you mean is I don't want to take my kids there and pay four pound fifty for a, a toffee apple or whatever it is. Well, there is that as well. Yeah, and just the like, it's not, it's not real, is it? I mean, it is because it's like German people who come and put it on. I think. It's like a Haribo stole there. That's made in Pontefract. To listen to the members' show, get priority access to the Matchball and all our shows ad-free, become a TSB
0: Plus member at thesquareball.net forward slash plus. Life is
1: full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? Just returning to the game and some of his midfield competition, obviously he was playing at right back. Kamara was in midfield, as I said before, he had an involvement in that, that opening goal. That turn away from several players was absolutely brilliant, yeah. wasn't it? Where he just kind of took three or four players out in just one fell swoop. I thought it just showed a real good awareness, a really good, good presence of mind there. A little bit culpable for the equalising goal, which wasn't great, was it? The free
0: header unchallenged? Yeah, like old habits revisited. That one, but there hasn't been too much of that this season. That was that. Would, is all all I would say. Um, there'd be moments of defensive weakness, but you know the, the clean sheets are, are totting up. They should really have had one on Saturday. That was a dead soft goal to to give away, and it felt a little bit like a team just wrapping up for half time, about thirty seconds, sixty seconds before the half was actually finished. Again, a little bit, you know, like Southampton. You wondered if. Farker would have been reading the riot act at at half-time and he said that he wasn't but I imagine there'd be some kind of choice comments about that because it it was so soft um, in a game where where Leeds were heavily on top but Kamara was quietly good I think in the way that that Gray had Gray not been 17 I think you'd have had eyes on him less and it might have gone you know it, it might have gone a little bit more unnoticed that the work he was doing but because it's him and because of his age you're kind of watching him closely and, and seeing in, in fine detail just how, how good his performance was Kamara I think again probably under the radar a little bit but a good game with Ampadu and, and this is what I mean I think Gruev is the one midfielder who we haven't seen much of yet and hasn't hasn't really come through to this point um, as we stand but hasn't really needed to either, because it's been other players that Farker has been relying on. But I think after years in which Leeds have been short of central midfielders and have had makeshift options in there, and, and years where Leeds have kind of been fishing for a competent left-back without ever finding one, they, they just have done themselves a favour by addressing a few positions that really, you know, really needed looking after. And Little by little, and it's going to depend on his fitness, but Byron is starting to look like one of the steals of the summer on a free transfer. Now, it was low risk because it was 12 months, but at the same time, quite high risk because you're putting your eggs at left back in his basket and and he has had a lot of fitness issues, but he, he just looks so competent, so settled, does the right things at, at both ends of the pitch. And yeah, there's been a, a really good signing. He's been excellent,
1: hasn't he? I've enjoyed um, seeing his, his renaissance, if we're going to call it that. It was interesting reading Farker's comments in, in the post-match about uh, the players not needing an emotional manager. And it was hard there uh, to not immediately cast your mind to Jesse Marsh when he uh, when he said those words.
0: I was told that there were, you know, there were some harsh words said at halftime at Ipswich after that goal was given away right before halftime, the, the dramy back pass that, that put um, Leeds in trouble. So I don't think it would be fair to say that it's all always all sweetness and light with um, with Farka. I think he can mix it up and and he can pick the moments to kind of swing a, an iron rod about. I mean, I don't think we need to go back over Marsh too much and I don't think everything that goes on at Leeds needs to relate to, to him specifically. But I have said this a few times now, I've been struck by the way Farka's got this together given what was a really difficult summer and, and his late arrival. And I think you can see in the body language of players how much they believe in a system or have, have confidence in a system. And I do think it's there with Leeds. You don't sense a lot of confusion in what they're doing. You don't sense any real bafflement with the the roles as they're, they're supposed to be. And again, to go, to go back to um, Archie Gray, when Leeds playing and the forward the fullbacks push forward, you'll see the the midfielders dropping in, you know, falling in, in the fullback areas and given that role to do. So actually, if you're suddenly asking Gray, who I know has played there before, but if you're saying to him, I need you to do this job, you are to a degree slightly skilled in it already. Um, and you have a bit of knowledge of it already. And I just think that's the, the sort of thing you need to do to have a, a squad that's orderly and and you know knows the drill, knows the score, knows what they're doing and can play like they've been They've been playing. They, they seem like a very settled team at the moment. It's interesting, isn't
1: it? Thinking about how managers balance carrot and stick these days when the game has changed so much, there's so much more money in it. You know, you've got basically young millionaire footballers who don't really need to listen to the managers if they don't want, because I don't know that they've had it all since a very young age in many cases. They're earning tens of thousands of pounds a week. So I guess there's a certain amount of trying to get buy-in from players, you know, rather than enforcing rules and structures upon them. You need them to buy into a project or a thing that you're doing, a thing that you're putting together. And it seems like this lot are really buying into this with Farka,
0: to my eye anyway. I think you have to play to their ambition and you have to play to the, or you have to believe in the idea that while players will become very rich at that level and will want to become very rich as, as any or any normal person does, that they do have things that they want to achieve in their career. And people do want to come out the other side of it, being able to talk about the things they want or the things they did and, and the things they, they have to, to show for it. The, the The challenge for managers, and this isn't a new thing, but I think it, it's certainly become more and more difficult, is that their positions are far more precarious in comparison to, to players. Players are heavily, heavily protected by, by contracts. And, and while managers get payoffs and everything else, but it's usually easier for a player to either stick around, even if they're, they're not playing much, or if they leave, to, you know, to get a good payoff themselves and then to find another club who, who will, will pay them. It doesn't ever seem to be a shortage of teams out there who will take demonstrably good footballers. And I mean, I always think of the, the kind of demise of Brian McDermott at Leeds. And, and he said himself, and he knew, that from the moment where he was basically sacked on Mad Friday and then reinstated, his authority was totally gone. So with people in the dressing room, players in the dressing room who either didn't rate him or didn't like him or who he wasn't playing him, and were a bit unhappy, the motivation levels were bound to drop. Because they knew fine well that they would outsee him and they would outlast him, and and that's that's how it was. You know, th- there are managers who have the clout and the authority to to get rid of players from the dressing room, and actually, you know, Farker is in that position at Leeds. He does have a huge amount of authority as a as a manager, and and this squad really has his stamp all over it um, after the the recruitment through the summer. But even so you have to manage players in the right way and you have to keep them on the side because they, it's them who make you successful and it is them who get you sacked as well. And sometimes managers get themselves sacked with poor decisions or poor coaching, poor management, um, whatever it else, else it is. But you have to find a way to be on the same wavelength. And I mean, the interesting thing about Farker is that he's not come from you know a high level playing career. When he was talking about Ishmael at Watford before the Watford game, he was making the point Ishmael was a far better footballer than him. He played at a far higher level. You know, Parker was. Uh, I saw sort a of joke once saying he was the slowest striker in, in Western Europe. You know, played at a lower level. Would never, I think, try to shout the odds about him as a as a player. So it's not as if he has medals galore to show from his playing career, but he does have two promotions. And I think if you're in a squad in the championship and you have the ambition of getting promoted, it probably helps to have somebody on the touchline who can say. I've done this before as I suppose it helps a little bit with the fan base as well when you're having the debate about Pirro and, and everything else for Farker to be able to say but you know as he did I know my business because I've won this league twice Just circling back to the second goal scorer and,
1: and Joel Pirro and just talking about the, the sort of buy-in aspects of it all there Phil I find it quite interesting that he's made the move to us when he probably I think could have gone lower end Premier League but reading between the lines the club has obviously sold him a dream and I think he's, he's done uh, interviews to this effect, saying that, you know, it's good for him to take the next stage in his career where he's gone from Swansea, who were just kind of around mid-table, to Leeds who were going to be pushing towards the top end. And it's the chance for him, you know, all things being equal, we get back up at some point in the next uh, 12 to 18 months, um, for him to kind of uh, ride a wave of positivity, if you like, uh, ride a wave of success, rather than going in at the bottom end of the Premier League and struggling maybe, you know, and finding things right. difficult there to break through. He could go in with a lot of confidence if we were to get back up there. And I realise I'm doing the whole, you know, uh, run before you can walk stuff here but um, that that's how you imagine it's been sold to him anyway
0: are you hiring the open top boss I've already booked excellent awesome. excellent marvellous spare me, spare me a seat I think also good though to see the players ego in check so it's a little bit of the Jorginho Routers I think when Dortmund were sniffing around Router in the summer I strongly suspect that if Router had said to Leeds I'd hate it here I haven't enjoyed it I really want to go they might have felt that they didn't have an awful lot of option but to to do a deal. Um, again, the financials might have made it impossible um, anyway because he would almost certainly have left at a loss. But the critical thing with Ruta was that he basically wanted to stick around, and and from what Farker has said and other people at the club too, there, there seemed to be an element of, of Ruta saying. I haven't done anything here. You know, paid a lot of money for me. I've come over. I've been a bit of a, not a figure of fun, but, you know, I've been a, a, this kind of mystery to everybody of why on earth that was what was done in January. And actually, I'd, li- I'd like to do better than that. I'd like people to think more of me than that. And I'd like to to make a point. We um, we interviewed um, Peru, he, he came to the press conference a couple of weeks back before the, the whole City game. And he said... Yes, I scored a lot of goals at Swansea, but I didn't get promoted with Swansea. I didn't make the playoffs with Swansea. So if I come to a club who are making the playoffs or are getting promoted, then it will feel like a natural step for me um, and a sensible step. And I, th- I think that was quite encouraging to hear because you're right. A striker like that must feel all day long like there will be somebody towards the bottom end of the, champ- of the Premier League who will have a go at them because if you're taking Piro for 10 million pounds, very, very low risk in that it was a major signing in the championship in the premier league, 10 million pounds buys you absolutely nothing these days. So that, you know, that opportunity might have been there for him, particularly. really. feel it gets you Rasmus Christensen. Well, it certainly does. Yeah. Yeah. And what a bargain that was. Tongue Um, in cheek, tongue in cheek. But, you know, if he'd waited till the end of the window, perhaps those, those opportunities would have, would have been there. But, I can imagine that speaking to Fark and Fark was very heavily involved in all of this, that the project you have been sold will have felt believable and, and pretty credible. And I mean, that that, that was one of the things Fark said on Friday, actually. He said, you know, I don't want to guarantee that we're going to get promoted because I'm doing this. I don't want to sit here and say I'm doing this and we will go up. But he was basically saying this is what I think is the best way of doing it, which to me seems entirely fair enough. But in terms of carrot and stick, he, he said all the way through that. Press conference, or the answer about Perot. I'm not interested in anybody winning the Golden Boot here. And by that, he's meaning finishing as the division's top scorer as opposed to, you know, Golden Boot across Europe. It's a a big thing in Germany. They focus on it quite, quite a lot. So it's not as if he's saying to Perot, look, I'm going to make you the Championship's top scorer and you'll have that, um, you know, above the door. He's basically saying to him, "You're, you're a player here like anybody else. And the entire point, of this season and this squad is to try and get out of the division. So you play a part in that, you'll score goals, you'll, you'll do well. But it's not all about you. And I think that's how it has to be. And yeah, credit to Jorginho Ruta for sticking it out because he could have gone, couldn't
1: he? He could have gone to some pretty big European clubs. Um, you know, The opportunity presented itself over the summer. So fair play to him for, <laughs> for, for, for trying to prove a point because when you contrast it with some of the players who couldn't wait to get out of here, you've got to give him huge credit for that. Particularly, he's still a, only a very young man. I keep that, forgetting
0: that sometimes. He could have agitated, I think, is the point. Whether or not he could actually have got any of those moves is is probably slightly moot because if Leeds were having to book a loss on him, it wouldn't have helped them from an FFP perspective, and and it, it might not have worked for them anyway. And that was part of the consideration in sort of saying no to, to the, the kind of advances. It was an intermediary in Germany who got in touch on Dortmund's behalf, but you know, Farker didn't want him to go, so at that point it was never likely anyway. But also the money that was being spoken about, it wasn't small fry cash at all, but it wasn't going you know, to match the, the money that had been spent on him to bring him in from from Hoffenheim. And and you're right, it does take a certain amount of um, stomach and a certain amount of um, constitution, I think, to be able to play in the way that Ritter has this season. Because I don't think that, you know, in any way, he'll have been oblivious to what was being said about him towards the back end of, of last season. And somebody at the club said to me that, you know, Allardyce's point of view when it came to Rutter, was that he was very, very talented player. You know, very capable, had a lot about him. But his confidence was so low when Allardyce came in with four games to go that Allardyce just didn't feel like he could make anything of him or use him particularly. And if you look at the minutes that he played under Allardyce, he was hardly involved at all. Um, but it, there has been a, a sea change there and, and for the better. He just looks to me like he's having fun
1: at the minute, yeah. just judging your Rutter. And it's a club where it feels like we're in danger of fun breaking out again. Mm, yeah. <laughs> <Is> that... <laughs> we can't sign off for the international break on that note, Phil,
0: come on. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. I just, um, he, he's got that um, playground vibe about him, you know, of just en- enjoying the, the flow of the game, enjoying being able to do, I guess enjoying being able to do the little tricks and flicks and moments of magic that would be far harder to do in the Premier League because the standard of player is better there. Y- you're not able to kind of, I wouldn't say he's taking liberties at all, um, but you're not able to take liberties um, in the Premier League unless you're Rafinha against Cahill. But you know, it's it, it's really it becomes it becomes far tougher and far more competitive up in the the Premier League, where it uh, you know at this level, as we've said previously, it's kind of like cheat code stuff. Some of it, isn't it? And I think if you you know, probably seventy five percent, if not more, of managers, head coaches in the Championship will be looking at Ruta from the touchline and thinking. We do not have that, you know. We just don't have anything to to compare individually one player with that that amount of skill. And you know, it's it's five goals for Pirro now. I think that was the point Parker was trying to make. You know, it's not as if he's not scoring. It's not as if the results aren't aren't coming. It's um, it's feeling feeling pretty good. So
1: it's all looking okay going into the international break. Long uh, long season ahead, though. But you know, it's nice to feel nice about Leeds again.
0: Yeah, it's long season and. I always feel like November, December is where it really, really finds you out. You know whether or not you can, you can stick with it because that does become a slog. I mean, the the past couple of weeks have been a slog in terms of fixtures. You know, a lot of games to to get through. But to say again, I, I think Farka will be happy with how they've they've come out of it. And I think that the comment he used was that he's he, he doesn't sort of he doesn't obsess about a league position. You know, after the living games, but I think after the living games, it needs to be looking relatively good. And you cannot leave yourself with too much. Ground to to make up. I mean, there will be clubs with designs on promotion this season, and I suspect for all the bad start, I suspect the side like Middlesbrough are potentially one. You know, who who would have thought that they they had a chance after what went on last season? But they're a long way behind the, the top two now, and and it does become a point where that gap becomes incredibly problematic, if not impossible impossible to get beyond. And um, so, I think from Varka's point of view, they would be satisfied with where it's at.
1: Nice one, Phil. Well, we'll speak again then after the international break. Just a reminder, there's no show this coming Friday. We've got the four-part Leeds United kit design special with Ed Cowburn, who designed the Leeds United suite of kits for this year. So uh, we're going to talk about how that came about. Uh, And we've got the home away and third kits, an individual episode for each one of those. So uh, really good listen. It was a load of fun to do that with Ed and we'll uh, find out some little secrets about the Leeds United kit. But in the meantime, enjoy the break, Phil. Thank you, you too. We'll see you in a bit. The Square Ball Podcast.